0: Good evening from Charlotte. I'm James Brierton. It is Wednesday, November the 18th, 2020, and thanks for joining us for an all-new edition of the Carolina Weather Group. It's 40 degrees here. We're going down to 32 degrees here in Charlotte. We have freeze warnings and freeze advisories all along the Carolina coast, as well as remnant flood warnings. Remember all that rain we got last Thursday? Well, all that water is still trying to flow its way into the Atlantic Ocean. So we have flood warnings for some coastal communities here in the Carolinas. We'll have a look at your forecast. It's cold, it's clear, and it's windy. Coming up in just a moment with meteorologist Frank Strait. Now, this week on the Carolina Weather Group, we are dusting off a tape that has been sitting on our shelf for a little time now. We want to explain why. We're going to be talking about fire safety here in the Carolinas. And in March, we talked to the North Carolina Wildfire Service. Forest Service. And uh, they gave us some great information about trying to uh, keep your home safe, keep yourself safe, and trying to keep our beautiful scenery here in the Carolinas safe. No sooner did we tape this episode last March. Well, as you might recall, the pandemic really increased and a lot changed. And we ended up covering several coronavirus-related shows here in the Carolina Weather Group before conditions really became so wet that we haven't talked about wildfires since early in the spring. We had lots of moisture from the tropical. Season We had severe weather roll on through with lots of thunderstorms, all conditions that kept things very moist outside and really kind of kept the fire risk to a minimum. Well, it's now cooler outside. It's windy. We have lots of abundant dry leaves on the ground. And thus, we're entering a little bit of a fall fire season here in the Carolinas. So we thought it was an appropriate time to go back and visit that episode. And we wanted to give you that premise and our appreciation uh, for our guests who have been waiting for a little while to share all of this great insight with with you That's coming away in just a moment. Before we get into tonight's uh, episode, a reminder, you can unlock Carolina Weather Group extras by becoming a Patreon supporter. Visit us at patreon.com slash Group. Get early access to select episodes and unlock episode extras. You can find a link to that in the description of this show, no matter where you're watching or listening to it. Thanks again for joining us this week. Our featured interview is coming your way in just a moment, but let's get on over to my colleague Frank, who has a look at that brisk forecast here in November.
1: Good evening, y'all. It's meteorologist Frank Strait here with your forecast overview for Wednesday night. As we begin, we'll look at satellite pictures from uh, late Wednesday, visible satellite pictures uh, showing a uh, lot of clear skies over the Carolinas and, in fact, across the south for the most part and uh, through the Midwest, thanks to a uh, sprawling area of high pressure that's moved in. A chilly one, too. Looks as though uh, we're going to see more chilly weather through Thursday before things uh, gradually warm up and that area of high pressure pushes on off to the east. You can see a lot of clouds associated with storminess over the western part of the country, though, and, uh, our front that moved through and ushered, ushered in the chillier air is now uh, well to our south and east over Cuba and the uh, Yucatan Peninsula. So, uh, looking at the weather map here again, high pressures in charge, uh, centered over West Virginia. It slides to the east over the coming days, and there's your storminess out west with a cold front pushing through. Let's uh, look at the upper air chart to see uh, how things evolve over the coming days. We will be seeing a warm up by the end of the week, as uh, the upper trough that uh, is starting to move on already is going to continue to pull away, and it gets replaced by an upper ridge over the southeastern states, uh, centered roughly near Savannah, Georgia, uh, by uh, Friday morning. So uh, that results in a warm up for us, and Uh, things stay very quiet. A spell of quiet weather that we're in for the moment continues uh, through at least uh, Saturday, probably Sunday. But uh, as I go on in time here, the ridge mainly stays in charge through Saturday. By Sunday, however, another uh, trough is developing over the nation's midsection and starting to head east. I think Sunday's still a pretty good day for us, but then Sunday night into Monday, some areas might get a little wet as a front pushes through. Uh, Tuesday, we should see some chilly air come in temporarily. Uh, Wednesday, uh, another uh, the upper air chart shows another trough developing over the eastern part of the country probably a little bit too fast other models are slower with that feature so let's look at the surface pattern uh to show uh, you how things are where the rubber meets the road and uh here for your Thursday we have that area of high pressure that's centered over West Virginia now by this point centered over toward Bermuda but it is nosing into the Carolinas and so that keeps us uh quiet and on the chilly side But it'll be the last chilly day for a while because uh, that high continues to move on and uh, we will see things warm up on uh, Friday, which this is Friday evening we're looking at here. And again, that area of high pressure still knows again, but the air mass is getting modified. Sun will be out once again, as it will be for your Thursday. So uh, look for bright sunshine and a milder afternoon there for your uh, Friday. But then by Saturday... Notice that uh, next storm system, actually a cold front pushing through the nation's midsection uh, into the Ohio Valley and uh, down the plains. Uh, that uh, will be sending a little bit of high cloudiness our way, so it won't be perfectly bright and sunny. but still a pretty nice day for your Saturday, and Sunday's looking good, too. Uh, just clouds may limit sunshine as we do see some high clouds streaming in ahead of that uh, next front heading our way. That next front looks look as though it moves through on Monday and uh, may generate a few showers, mainly in the mountains. Uh, at least that's the best chance for shower activity there's not a lot of moisture for this front to work with so i don't expect much rain anywhere but the best it will be in the mountains and then by tuesday that front is off to our south and high pressure off to our north pushing through quebec and uh, northern new england uh, should uh, send chillier air uh, wedging into the carolinas here so uh, it looks as though we will see uh, things turn cooler again uh, noticeably so by tuesday And again, the GFS model I'm showing you here shows another front coming through Wednesday, but that's probably too fast. It likely will be the end of next week before we see another cold front push through uh, with a good chance for some rain with that. Quick word about the tropics. Uh, We've just been uh, dealing with Hurricane Iota, stayed uh, over Central America. It looks as though we won't have any features uh, that can affect the Carolinas directly, but there are two areas of interest. One in the Caribbean. We may see another storm develop there in the coming days, but it also won't affect the Carolinas. More of a concern for Central America again. This other area of concern, southwest of Bermuda, is a non-tropical system that looks as though it will develop out here, but it may gain some tropical characteristics. Either way, it stays offshore, I think, but it could churn up the surf no matter what form it takes along the east coast, and uh, that could be an impact for the Carolina coastline this weekend. That's your weather review for now. Now on to the interview.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We thank you for joining us tonight. Tonight we're talking about wildfire and how uh, wildfires and weather kind of go hand in hand. And so tonight we have with us uh, Justin Query from Granite Falls, North Carolina. He is in charge of Western North Carolina and the wildfire mitigation uh, program. And we also have with us Hannah Thompson Welch. She's located in Kinston, North Carolina, and she uh, Uh, manages eastern North Carolina and the wildfire mitigation program there. So Hannah, Justin, thank you for uh, joining us tonight. We appreciate that. Uh, I know uh, our first question to a a lot of folks uh, who are first time on this program has to deal with weather and how they got interested in weather. And I know weather is a part of your job, but how did you guys get involved in the uh, Forest Service? What really inspired you to want to do Uh, this uh, Hannah I'll start off with you kind of give us a little bit backstory about you and then how you got involved with the uh, North Carolina Forest Service.
3: Okay I was one of those kids who liked to romp through the woods and stay on the heels of my father so uh, trying to keep up with him through the woods I guess that's what got me into forestry to begin with but I was a sports medicine major originally and helped some guys out in the dorm with their homework uh, in forestry and then got bit by the forestry bug. So I worked for Kentucky Division of Forestry for a couple years and then came to North Carolina and I've been here 16 and a half years so far.
2: And Justin, uh, how about you? Uh, how, how did you get caught up in the Forest Service?
4: Yeah, it's uh, somewhat similar to Hannah. You know, it was a, a lot of outdoorsy type things with my dad growing up. Um, but then when I got to high school, uh, we had an FFA department there. And they did a lot of stuff with forestry throughout that. And, you know, I I realized it was something I really enjoyed and decided to go to school for it and pursue a career in it. And uh, just like Hannah, me and her, we started right about the same time. Uh, I'm sitting about 16 and a half years myself now.
5: Very cool. Those are great stories. So now kind of transitioning into the main topic of tonight, which is obviously uh, wildfires. Uh, Justin, I guess we'll kind of start with you. Is the spring fire season the only fire season of the year, or is there another one later in the year as well?
4: No, we'll, uh, we'll typically have another one uh, in the fall of the year, uh, usually right around leaf fall. And we'll have a lot of fresh leaves on the ground uh, right for ignition.
5: Right, yeah, I can see how that would be an issue. Um, speaking of ignition, how do some of these uh, fires get started, Hannah?
3: So in North Carolina, we have around 98% of our fires are caused by humans. that is
5: terrifying
3: (laughs) (laughs) well it's only two percent are caused by lightning and that's different in a lot of other parts of the country but here with our wildland urban interface we have a lot of population so we have a lot of human caused fires and some of those are um, debris burning is our major cause around 38 percent and then incendiary is about 20 percent miscellaneous 14 percent and then it goes all the way down to camping at 1%. So it's a variety of human causes, but our main one is debris burning.
5: And to sort of piggyback on that to, to Evan's question, a lot of folks here, we see prescribed burning a lot in our forests. And a lot of folks are always asking, hey, is that, is that fire out of control? Because sometimes it can, it can really set up where you get pyrocumulus clouds building over the top of it and it just looks like a really ominous situation. So I got to ask, are any prescribed burns responsible for some of these out of control fires or is that really monitored? heavily, and, and that's a, almost a 0% risk. Okay, well, I'll take that one, then.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. I was thinking about it for
5: so, a moment. Yeah, we'll go with you first, sorry, my fault.
4: So, I, I guess the, the, the question is, does a prescribed fire ever turn into a wildfire?
5: Is, Correct. is
4: that the, the long and short of it? Um, yes, it has happened before, and will it happen again? Yes, it probably will. Uh, we, we try, we do our best to plan for that not to happen um, but you know when you're dealing with something like fire uh, and something as with weather and you know it can be an unpredictable thing as as as, as much as we like to think we can predict it um, you could have a wind shift that you didn't see coming um, you can have you know a whole host of different things you know relative humidities will drop out lower than what you thought they were going to be and you know experience some more extreme fire behavior than what you were thinking you would have that day Justin.
2: Uh, just quick piggyback off of that uh you're, you're kind of talking about the weather variabilities when, when you find yourself on on some of these larger wildfires like we experienced in western north carolina back a couple of years ago um and, and they grow so large and you guys actually have like um, uh, a command post and you have forest service and firefighters uh do you guys ever get like meteorologists that, uh, uh, own on like site to help you out with with like you talked about humidity or wind shifts or, or anything like that?
4: Yeah absolutely um, we uh, we'll, we'll get an incident meteorologist uh, on, on most of on most of our larger incidents and then we'll also get um, some fire behavior uh, analysis guys out there that will help to you know take, take those weather parameters and they'll actually try to turn that into what will the fire actually do, you know, with the weather parameters that they're given. So yeah, we, we'll get incident meteorologists out there on our fires or larger ones.
2: Another piggyback where uh, Evan was talking about causes uh, something that comes to mind, which I don't think so Evan, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you're, you, you follow Western North Carolina as much as I do. Uh, the flash drought that we had back last fall, uh where we had uh, i think the whole month of september we were very dry into october uh, i was actually looking at some of my forecast graphics earlier today and noticed that we had high temperatures and in, in the first week of october still in the 80s and 90s um what was that like how you know flash droughts happen uh well a long-term drought you can kind of predict yeah you know We have a chance to see on fires, but these flash droughts that are caused by the lack of precipitation, really high heat and everything's kind of starting to die off from 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 summer into the fall season. Uh, You guys, I guess, assuming when when this happens, Hannah, you and Justin, you guys are watching this and everybody really has to be on, on guard for something that could quickly happen.
3: Yeah, and we put a lot of resources into place. Uh, There was a lot of pre-planning efforts that went into that, the flash drought situation from last year. So we were ready to move in the case that we had a larger fire occurrence event where we had a bunch of new ignitions. And so there were plans in place to aggressively hit those where they were and even calling in out-of-region resources for that.
5: Very good. So I'm I'm sort of you know going to ride along with this, Scotty, because I know one of our topics is going to be how does weather play into these fires? And we talked about wind earlier, right? We talked about the lack of rain. Talked about droughts. Um, you mentioned something earlier, Hannah, about winds, and and sort of um, you know we saw what happened in Western North Carolina a few years back. We saw what happened in Gatlinburg, um, and and we saw what happened ahead of the cold front where where convergent winds drove drove that fire. What what sort of Factors are you looking for for severe type events to occur, severe outbreaks, or these fires are spread very quickly? How, in other words, how is weather playing into everything that you're doing?
3: Well, weather is a huge part of what we do every day, so you almost become an amateur meteorologist when you join the forest service, not even by choice, it just happens.
5: Sure, so you're looking at all the models like us, too, right? You're, you're yeah.
3: We okay. are, we're looking at similar products, predictive services, long-range long planning, uh, long-range forecasting, a bunch of different data sets that we look at. And we even have a portal that's available to anyone that wants to look at it with a lot of climate data that's in there.
5: Very good. And Justin... Are you guys working with the National Weather Service offices in, in, in the local areas, or if it's divided down the region, you go to two different offices? But you're working closely with them, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, a lot of these offices, we you know we
4: we have direct numbers where we can call them. Um, you know, one of the, one of the products we always love to get from them is a spot weather forecast, uh, where we can really pinpoint. Uh, I want to know what the weather's going to be at this exact location. So yeah, we're we're in. Very frequent
5: contact with our National Weather Service guys, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of switch this because we're we're starting to talk about territory, right? And we're looking at mountainous areas versus coastal plains. So like, what, what would be differences between a fire in the mountains in Western North Carolina and a fire in Eastern North Carolina? So you
4: know, w- whenever we're dealing with fires in the uh, the western the western part of North Carolina or the mountains, you know, the biggest difference there is. We have, a, we have a lot of terrain to deal with. Um, whenever you have a wildfire on a steep slope, it's going to burn typically a lot faster going upslope. Um, the other issue that we run into is uh, the equipment that we can use in some of these terrains. Um, you, know, you can't put a bulldozer on a 50 or 60% slope. Um, you can, it's just, very very tricky uh, so most of the firefighting that we do in you know in that type of terrain is you know a lot of manpower with hand tools um, so you know the the, the the actual vegetation that we have there is a difference there so luckily the vegetation doesn't burn quite as severely as it does in the east and I would say Hannah will probably cover some of that um, she talks about her the, the eastern fires um, yeah, but, uh, I was just going to mention, you know, we, we, we've referred back to 2016 several times and um, yeah, we definitely had a major fire problem that fall. Uh, I believe we burned somewhere around 62,000 acres just within a two month period. Uh, so yeah, it was a real problem in Western North Carolina that, that during that, uh, that fall.
3: Yeah, and in eastern North Carolina, while we don't have to deal with mountainous terrain, we do have to deal with a lot of challenges. All in flat country, or in rolling hill country, our fuels are more volatile and they burn with greater intensity. Um, but we can use heavy equipment such as tractor plows, which is a bulldozer with a fire plow behind it, and though that equipment's used more easily in most cases, unless the soil is not. Um, it can't support the weight of the equipment. So we use that equipment to break through organic soil or organic matter down to bare mineral soil is what we're using that for. So in many cases, uh, some of these fires down east will smolder across the surface of the ground until it burns deep enough in organic soil material. And when that happens, then we have fires that go on for a long period of time, sometimes months and with that we have a lot of smoke impacts as well so we get a lot of people who are concerned during those types of fires that we have and some of those exist in what's called a pocosin which translates to swamp on a hill or a shrub bog it's also known as so those are wetlands with deep acidic sandy peat soils and they have like an accumulation of organic material that looks it'll resemble muck black muck underneath the crust of the surface so and that builds up over years and years and years but those are fire adapted ecosystems and in the east we are uh, used to having to deal with that type of an ecosystem
5: yeah, i remember the fires I, i'm trying to remember what year it was where southeast north carolina near the coast and and uh, northern myrtle beach and the grand strand areas they had a, a serious breakout up there and and smoke you know we're going right into our next topic which is going to be smoke management you know, visibility factors, travel, um, the dangers of being on the road near these things and not knowing where the fire actually is and not being able to see. I mean, we've seen that out west in, in California. We're here, what are your challenges with smoke management? How, how do you get the word out to folks?
3: We use a lot of tools in the toolbox to get the word out. Um, we always have public information officers on any fires that we have, and then we have public information officers with our agency, and we're constantly working to try to get the word out to the general public And any of our shareholders or stakeholders, cooperators that um, that we need to advise on on those types of issues. But it takes a broad, a broad toolbox full of tools to get the word out. So we use social media. We use email. We use all the traditional methods through news releases. And and then we invite the news media out to some of our fires so they can get the word out for us as well.
2: One thing that uh, I know you guys look at, and actually I'm I'm going to share my screen here um, for those folks who are watching, um, is you guys look at all kinds of parameters and I know we were uh, talking a little bit about that. You have a lot of tools in the toolbox. Um, one thing I, I since the wildfires here in Western North Carolina a couple of years back, I've got a tab now on my laptop that has uh, labeled uh, fire weather, meteorology, and kind of uh, look at some of this stuff. So if you guys don't mind, we don't have to go through everything, but um, as we tie in like weather to you guys, what all um, indexes and things are you guys looking at? I know we have the KBDI index. Uh, you guys look at kind of like uh, the initiation point um you're looking for uh, fuels, uh, fine fuels. Uh, kind of talk to us a little bit about that, and and what you guys really look at day to day for the potential for for wildfires.
4: Yeah, that's a yes yeah, So so our our fire weather intelligence portal. This has been a great tool for us as as fire managers. Uh, you know, in the in the prescribed burn uh, realm, but also for the wildfire realm here too. Um, because you know, a lot of times when we're looking at 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 Wildfire, we're not just looking at one specific area or just one county. A lot of times we're looking at, you know, like an eight county district or possibly, you know, a 30 county region or the whole state. Uh, So we may need to look at, you know, different indices crossing over the state. So, um, you know, some of your more obvious ones, you know, temperature, relative humidity, uh, wind speed and direction. Um, yeah, you know, precipitation over the past uh, 24 hours. And you, we like to look at some of that stuff. But um, some of the other things that we really like to look at are, uh, let's say, our the Keech brugler Drought Index. Um, that's one that can tell us, you know, just how dry it actually is out there. Uh, we've, the lower the number, the uh, wetter it is. As I, as we start going up. Closer, you know, 500, that means we're starting to get into a pretty, pretty severe or, you know, significant drought situation. Uh, some of our other parameters that we look at, you mentioned ignition component. Um, that is one, you know, pretty much tells us how easily a fire is going to ignite. You know, some of the other ones we, we're looking at, the energy release component right there, uh, that's one that just tells us how intense that fire is going to burn. Uh, so there's a lot of different indices in there and, you know, all of them are relative. Um, they just, you know, it's just another tool in our toolbox as Hannah mentioned earlier, uh, just different things we can look at that'll help us as fire managers to determine how that fire will burn on
2: any given day. And how, how are these, how are these values come up with? Like, is, is there like, um, uh, I, tools that are that you guys have that you go out and sample the soil. How do you how do these values come up there? I mean, right. what all goes into that?
4: So uh, you, you you'll notice there's they're they're, they're kind of placed oddly across the state. There. there, there's actually a small weather station uh, at each of those that are that are taken. Um, we actually have small fuel sticks out there, and that takes you know, some of our fuel moistures. And then a lot of your typical um, uh, weather readings, such as temperature, relative humidity, wind speed, precipitation. Uh, it also uh, takes in solar radiation. Um, trying to think if there was anything else that I'm missing on those. Uh, but those are called, uh, th- those are, let's see, remote automated weather stations.
2: And another thing, um, Hannah, I'll, I'll bring you into this. This is another thing that i look at. It's the National... Uh, the NICC, it kind of gives you um, a seasonal outlook for, for wildfire.
3: These outlooks are constantly in our minds. We do an annual refresher training and um, every year. And at that meeting, we go over these for the upcoming season. And that's getting us ready for the uh, spring fire season leading up to our work capacity test that we take annually so we can travel and help other, like, western states whenever they are having large fires as well. So we look at these and we brief on these throughout the months, even into the summer and into the fall. So we are looking at this way ahead of time. And as soon as this information is released, a lot of times you'll see it floating around social media pages and other things. So it's a hot topic conversation for any wildland firefighter.
2: And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe as we went into last fall, fall of 2019, it was above average for the Southeast just because of the flash drought. I believe that's what I remember seeing. So. Um another agency in the weather community that does some fire forecasting, uh, Justin is the Storm Prediction Center where they issue fire forecasts. Do you guys, um, maybe you the Force Office in North Carolina, maybe in Raleigh, do you guys coordinate with them or how do you guys get those outlooks or how does that work? Um, I'll be
4: honest with you, whenever you sent me uh we we had talked about that earlier. I think that maybe yesterday. Yes. Um that was the first time that I had dealt with that. Um I don't know if Hannah has worked with that particular tool, but I played around with it a little bit and, uh, it seems like that, that could, that's definitely another tool that i have putting into my toolbox. <laughs> so well, Hannah, I don't know if you had seen that before or not. I have not.
2: Well, I'm so, glad we are able to help you guys out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for those who may be watching or listening to the podcast, um, We've had on Randy Bauer from National Weather Service in Norman, Oklahoma, who is also in with the Storm Prediction Center, and they issue these fire weather outlooks um, for the day of and then three to eight days. It's kind of like the severe weather outlooks of and Shay that we see on a daily basis, but they kind of highlight areas that um, that they're concerned about for the potential of um, some uh, increased fire danger And, and Shay correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not mistaken, we kind of saw this last year in eastern North Carolina, northeast South Carolina, where uh, dry lightning was was highlighted for uh, portions of the area.
5: No, that's exactly right. They've even done it a little bit out in the Midwest as well um, during some of the drier seasons and, and where you know, positive strikes would, might be forecast. Um, anything of, of heat values where dry and dr- you know, drought conditions, severe drought conditions are existing. And, you know, it... it it seemed like it was maybe a little controversial, but at the same time, they're trying to incorporate more into their risk factor for severe weather to, to be a threat, even more of a threat on any level. So they're, they're working with the forestry department and others as well, from what I understand. Um, I'd like to to learn more about that this year because it is kind of new with them. So yeah, I think the efforts, I think to me, it's a good effort on their part.
2: Definitely. So Justin, Hannah, one reason that we wanted to invite you guys on tonight, um, is The uh, North Carolina Forest Service is really uh, putting a big campaign out about being ready and prepared um, for, for fires. But um, one thing I wanted to talk about uh, before we do that was the, uh, the idea of prescribed burning and, and how that kind of helps you guys get ready for the wildfire season. So could you briefly kind of talk about the purpose of prescribed burnings and then we can kind of go into the wildfire mitigation what you need to do uh, as we get into the fire weather season.
4: I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and grab that one. So our prescribed burns, um, you know, we're, we're going to do those anytime that we, uh, you know, we have, we have a forest stand out here that we want to reduce the hazard in. Um, you know, the, if, if you don't have a fire in there, the, the, the leaf litter, the pine litter just continues falling to the ground year after year after year and it, it accumulates more and more and more. Um, so, you know, the more it accumulates, the more of a hazard you have. Uh, whenever you do have a wildfire come through, it's going to have a pretty extreme danger there. So uh, what we do is is we'll come through and we'll actually burn the understory and reduce that wildfire hazard. Uh, but we'll do it under under controlled conditions uh or you know we'll, we'll make a, a pretty strict um prescription uh as far as the weather goes and follow that to a t in order to hopefully control that prescribed burn like we were talking about earlier
2: and so um justin um one thing that uh, you guys are doing uh with that prescribed burning trying to prevent these wildfires but if we do um, see some coming. How can how can folks prepare for these? I know um, Shay alluded to Gatlinburg earlier. We kind of have seen uh, some of the scary videos uh, out of California, the, the fires that were out there and um, how these people are, are kind of just grabbing what they can and getting out before all heck breaks loose. Uh, what can folks do now while things are kind of wet? Like we were talking about, it's pretty wet outside. But as we could possibly enter a dry part of any time of this upcoming year how can folks get ready around the house to to get prepared for the possibility of of these wildfires but the first step for most homeowners is you need to realize
4: what your risk is Um, and so we we always recommend that folks actually do an assessment of their own home uh, or possibly have their neighbor do an assessment of their home and if they will go to resistwildfirenc.org that is a web page that we run and uh, we actually have some links to a home assessment sheet on there Um, but some different things that are just really quick and easy that any homeowner can do the biggest one we see is keeping your roof and your gutters clean uh, you wouldn't believe how many homes I go out to, and I'll take a look around, and the gutters will just be simply packed full of leaves and debris. Uh, the fact is, when a wildfire comes through, it will simply pelt the home with embers, uh, just thousands upon thousands of embers. And one, it just takes one ember landing in that gutter or on that roof, you know, in the eve of that roof where the where the debris has piled up, and it could easily ignite and start a wildfire there. Um, and the, Or, uh, I'm sorry, ignite that home. And the last place that you want to have a fire is on the roof of your house. Um, so that's one you know, really quick and easy mitigation strategy that, that folks can do.
5: We definitely want to ask, what's the best way to see what you're reporting out. I know you mentioned wildfire.northcarolina.org. Are there any other social media sites or websites that we could go to to view your material and what you're, what you're uh, reporting out on?
4: Yeah, the, the biggest one that we recommend right now is, is you know, the, the one that we're on is uh, going to uh, resistwildfirenc.org. Um, you can also go to firewise.org. That is, uh, that is run by NFPA. Uh, that's another great resource for homeowners to take a look at. Um, I think that's the only two that's coming to mind uh, right off the top of my head. Hannah, do you have any others that you can think of?
5: Do you have a like Twitter account or Facebook page or anything?
4: Yeah, we do. The North Carolina Forest Service does have a, a Facebook page, and I think we do have a Twitter, but I'm not active on that one. So uh, I know we, we do periodically post stuff for mitigation strategies on there.
2: Justin, it was a pleasure having you on. Anything else you or Hannah would like to cover um, kind of before uh, we uh, close out the program?
4: Well, I, I think the other mitigation strategy I was going to cover real quickly was just going to be, um, you know, the, 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 one of the most important zones around the house are just the, the first five feet around the home. And that's typically where we have a lot of our flower beds, you know, where we do a lot of our landscaping um so it's very important you know, the other things that we put there uh such so as not putting highly flammable uh plants in that area um and then the the mulch and or uh, you know what we're putting down on the ground there is not using a flammable mulch not using anything that's organic that can catch fire such as pine needles or a shredded bark um, best thing we could recommend is like a hardscape such as uh, a lava rock or a pea gravel uh, or possibly even a river rock.
2: Hannah, any other ideas that uh, that you could give folks about how they could prepare for uh, upcoming wildfire season?
3: It's important to work with your neighbors. It's important to recognize what type of situation you have right immediately around your house and take appropriate measures to reduce risk ahead of fire season approaching. So it's really important to work with those around you because if they have risk, then likely their risk adjoins your risk. Because we talk about home ignition zones, so the zones around your house from zero to five foot is your immediate zone, and then from five to 30 feet is your intermediate zone. And if those 30-foot circles, if you imagine a a circle around your house at 30-foot distance, then if it touches another home's 30-foot zone, then if worst case scenario happened, there could be structure to structure ignition. So anything you can do to reduce the risk around your home, that's what you should be doing.
2: Justin, Hannah, one other thing I think pops into my mind uh, that you see a lot of people are out there when we get into these fire situations, they're trying to extinguish a fire with a, a garden hose that they have at their house, maybe when evacuations have been ordered. Would you guys suggest, hey, just get your stuff? Follow the evacuation orders. Let the firefighters, let you folks take care of the fire.
4: Yes, absolutely. You know, if if, if evacuation orders have been made, uh, by all means, go ahead and follow them. Um, You know, a a garden hose is not going to do much for that fire. Um, You're putting your life and your family, you know, in harm's way by sticking around.
2: Uh, take these preparation tips and use them to your advantage that way that you're prepared uh, before um, before the next fire. So we appreciate you uh, guys joining us tonight here on the Carolina Weather Group. We hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for an all new episode. Have a great evening, everyone.